0: So we're starting something new this week um, in that we're starting a new emphasis, going to be looking from, for winter, this, what's left of winter and into spring, um, into the book of Acts. And we're going to be looking at this idea, what's normal anyway? And that's what we're going to be asking ourselves about being Christians. What's normal? You know, um, the reason we're looking at this and the reason I've really felt directed to do this as a church is that I'm sure that I'm aware of this, and I'm sure most of you are aware, if you don't have your head buried in the sand, um, that we're living in a time in our culture, unlike, at least I believe, and other cultures have maybe felt this, but I think we have evidence to prove that we are living in a time where what is viewed as normal is being completely redefined in a more accelerated way than ever in the history of humanity. Up until about 100 years ago or so life for the 6000 years of human history was fairly the same pretty much people lived on farms farms raised you know animals and lived as family units out somewhere that's how most of the world lived but then industrialization people moved into cities families begin to disperse you know now it's just normal a person you know a family lives here but their kids get jobs and one moves to seattle and one moves to new york and, and one moves now you know, to to australia it's just like, boom, 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 everything's split up, things are changing, and, and what we view as normal in our culture is changing at an accelerated pace. Every, it seems like every year, I feel outdated, not just about getting old, it's just that it used to say that knowledge doubled, I think every hundred years, knowledge, knowledge doubled, now they say, they were saying like every ten years then, a couple of years ago, now they're saying like every five years, the amount of knowledge there is doubles, and so it's interesting. A lot of times people look at education, and I'm not an educator nor an expert in it, but they'll say, well, yeah, what our kids learn today, You know, they're nothing compared to the McGuffey Reader back here, and some of that's true. But what a kid has to learn today compared to what you had to learn 100 years ago when you lived on the prairie you know, and you just shoveled cow manure, the volume of material is, in, is, is exponentially greater than what they had to learn. And so, yeah, we're, things are changing. And so our culture is in this incredible flux, and what's normal is being redefined. And we see things on TV about it, like the, uh, what's the, th- I've never seen it, but the, the, the modern family, you know, there's a show, and it's always, it's garbage, you know, half of it. It's, it's the world trying to say what's normal now, um, and it's always, to be tend towards things that are sinful being considered non-sinful. But that's the world we're living in today, where, where normal, what we think is normal, is being completely redefined. So today, you know, just think about some of the very basic things. Today, as I look at, at my family, your families, things are changing. You know, most of you and your families text each other more than you talk to each other. We tell my kids, you know, I think they don't even believe us that, that you know, Susanna saying this the other day to, to Josh and Sam said, well, you know, when Mark was in college, there was no computers. And everything was typed on, on a, and a typewriter, and it was electric. I was describing how i type papers. Remember the electric typers? And the erase. They've never heard that sound. You know that sound, right? The automatic eraser going back. And so everything. So usually Susanna listened to that for about 15 seconds. And she literally, she walks, she said, get out of my way. And she'd sit down, 100 words a minute type my papers. So I'd make sure I erased a lot. You know, so that she would rescue me. But um, things are changing. So we text more than we talk. Um, men and women's roles are no longer clearly defined as they have been really for all of human existence. They've been very clearly defined. Today in our culture, it's not peculiar for a man, a dad, to be a stay-at-home dad. I've got multiple friends who are you know, rock-solid Christians that the wife is like a physician and the dad stays home with the kids. Where It's, it's not uncommon anymore where what was, what was always seen as normal is now all kinds of things are different than that. And I think if you ask our kids maybe, so maybe somebody, maybe you know, 25 and under, what the American dream is, their idea of the American dream, they probably don't even know what that means. But to us, the American dream means you're going to have, you know, a husband and a wife, a couple kids, a dog, not a cat. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Sorry. Some of you cat lovers out there, but the American dream involves a dog, and uh, though changing cultures included cats. Um, And uh, (laughs) I'm not a cat hater, I'm just a dog lover. And um, at a house and a white picket fence. That would be always a description of what the American dream is. That's not necessarily the dream anymore. I've heard people saying recently, saying, man, I never want to own a home. They looked at. They just lived through the biggest crash. The reason we always bought homes is because it was the best financial investment in your life. You bought a home, it always got, was worth more money. I own a house right now that is worth less than I paid for it. You know, and a lot of you do. I own a house that's worth less than I paid for it. I bought it about four and a half years ago, and it's worth less than I paid for it. You know? And, uh, and tons of people, millions of people are in that role. So people now, their American dream is like, well, I don't want to get stuck with that. I'm going gonna, gonna to rent a nice condo. You know, and so so things are changing. Our our idea of normal is is, is in is in flux, and and I'm not going to say this because sometimes people get nostalgic instead of spiritually accurate. You know, the, the example is hymns are spiritual, no hymns are nostalgic, or some of you think, oh, that good music back in the in the '80s, Keith Green, that was spiritual, but this new stuff, it's not spiritual or unspiritual. It's nostalgic. It has to do with something in your life. Um, that is meaningful to you so it has more greater value to you so, so all the changes that are going through aren't necessarily bad you know um, in fact some of them might even be good it's a good thing that dads are more involved with their children than they were before that's a good thing I, I go to a class on Thursday nights so we were talking about at what year do dads get to go into delivery room with their children and we concluded it was somewhere in the, in the early 70s because one guy said well one kid was born in 72 I couldn't go in but in 74 I could and I said, you know, my kids were born later, you know, 21 years ago, and 19 years ago, and, and I got to go in and cut the cord and be part of all that, but my dad didn't get to do that. So some of the changes that are going on are, are probably good. It's, you know, dads staying with their kids and investing more energy into them, that's a good thing, right? Sometimes we always think every change is bad. All change isn't bad. You know, some change is necessary and good. But um, I, I do think this, though, about this redefinition of normal that there is in the, the general sense of this redefining of normal is that there is a movement away from some of the traditions and values that have culturally helped people develop strong families and have given people the opportunity to be in a situation where they would recognize their need for a relationship with God and then find a place to be able to figure out how I can scratch that itch or fulfill that need. So some of those things, the structural norms, cultural norms, kind of work towards having those things accomplished without us even thinking about it. Let me, an, let me give you an example. And this is one that I did on purpose. It's preaching to the choir. It's to do with all of us being here today. That the cultural tradition of families attending church together on Sunday morning um, you know, that that tradition um, has some real positives to it. Um, now, we know this, that just because a person goes to church doesn't mean they're a believer. I went to church for years and didn't know Jesus. I was baptized and confirmed and didn't know Jesus, you know? And so that, that's possible. So I noticed going to church doesn't make you a Christian. However, attending a church regularly does instill... Um, that that is a value, it's important, into the structure of a family, especially as kids grow and develop, that when a person, when every Sunday they're going off to church together and they're not doing something else, it says to those kids, um, Jesus is important. It makes that a value in their life. It give, and it also beyond that, it gives those children and everybody in the family for that need a starting point for their spiritual journey. It says, here's where I start my spiritual journey, or here's where i at least get the information about my spiritual journey. So if the new normal that we're seeing in culture today does not include such a tradition, and I'm watching that happen really quick, and this is an example, this is my sermon, an example of how this happens, I'm watching this one change drastically in front of my eyes. I'm watching the idea of people thinking they should attend church every week be completely changed so that even people who are regular church people don't even come to church regularly anymore. So if this new normal that culture is setting for us does not include such a tradition as every Sunday you get up and go to church, then it's very likely that children won't place a high value on seeking spiritual direction from a church, but will instead look to have that need met because there is a spiritual need in the heart of every person ever born. They'll look to have that spiritual need met in some other way, through something else, some other means, and thus, the new normal will have a negative spiritual result. that makes sense so that 's what i 'm saying that so some of these things these just the norm the old norm was a safeguard to keeping us going in the right direction and the change can have a negative effect now, since this cultural shift is in high gear all around us, what I want to do is take some time and look at what are some of the of the uh, things that we should hold on to in our norm, what we want to because def- we want to be in control. We want to define our normal. And what are some of the things we should move toward during this time of redefinition? Because there's some things that we don't do that we should do. There's some changes we should have happen if we want our normal to really accomplish the best in our lives. So so that our norm, we restructure our norm and that it will maintain the things that are necessary and it will add those things that are missing in, our, in what we view as normal. So that change can be good because guess what? Change always happens. So we want the change that happens to benefit us instead of hurting us. So for the next couple of months, we're going to be talking about what should be normal. I know it's a dangerous thing to do because there is, people say there is no normal. Well, understand it's a guideline. So we're going to talk about things that should be normal in the life of all of those who follow Jesus. So we're answering this question, what's normal anyway, as far as being a Christian? Now, I hope that from the get-go today, from the start, right out of the blocks, that we should know that what is normal or what should be normal for Christians will be abnormal for non-Christians. I want us to understand that right away. we're a counterculture. We're supposed to be different. God makes; He he shows us that we're different. So what's normal for us should look different or abnormal for those who don't know Jesus. That we should be a lot different than those who do not walk in the light of God's word. We have something they don't have. We have the word of God and the Holy Spirit. We have the blessing and the advantage of not simply living by the wisdom of, of ourselves or other people, just trying to say, what do we think is right, that we get the blessing and the advantage of living in the wisdom of God, and we get to, let to, we get to let him define for us what's normal. So it's not a subjective thing. I'm not going to stand up here next number of weeks and say, what I think is normal ought to be like this. We want to let God define what's normal. And the way we're going to let God define normal is by looking at what passed for normal in the early church, as recorded in the book of Acts. Because the book of Acts is this incredibly strategic book in the Bible. Because what it basically is. is a, it's a history book. Of the early church. It's a, it's a narrative. What that means is it's stories. Where a lot of the Bible is called what's called didactic. It means it's teaching. The apostle Paul will say. Let me teach you about this doctrine. And he, in the letter he writes it. The book of Acts is a narrative. It's just a bunch of stories. So basically what it is. is it's, it's like looking at the early church. The stories of the early church. And seeing how did they live and act. What was important to them. And so we can look at that uh, in the early church and we can say what passed for normal from them and then we can see, well, if that was normal for them, then that must be normal for God because this was the early church just connected to Christ very closely and, and brand new and, and birthed by God. And so what we're going to be looking at um, is what was normal for them in, light, in, in reference to their spiritual existence. We're not going to be looking for things like, did they ride donkeys to the vineyard to pick grapes? Okay, because a lot of people do that stuff. So they look at the Bible and they see how they lived in certain practical ways. And they go, well, if they rode donkeys to the vineyard and picked grapes, we ought to all get rid of our cars, not use electricity. Okay, you know, all kinds of people do that. Not use electricity and and people do that today. And they say, and that's an extreme thing, but we do that in other ways. So we're not gonna look for things like you know riding donkeys to their vineyards, um, because some of those things are simply technology advancements and changes and cultural changes, and those things do change with time. It's all right. I'm glad that there's that there's wheels today. You know, I'm glad that somebody invented the wheel. Or oh, I'm glad somebody invented electricity and somebody piped in natural gas into this building so that I didn't have to show up three hours early and shovel coal into a furnace so that you'd be warm when you got here. I'm glad for that. So some of these changes are all right. Um, so what, instead of those kinds of things, what we will be looking at are those things that, would have, they, that the early church would have simply understood to be normal experiences and expressions of being Christians, regardless of the times. They would say these are the normal things that, that define what a Christian is. So let's begin our journey. Let's begin our, our our look at what's normal anyways and ask ourselves that question from the book of Acts. What is normal anyways? And the first thing I want to talk about today is what's normal anyways, as you read the scriptures, you read the book of Acts, the first thing is this what's normal was that that they had that prayer played an important role in their lives. We're going to talk about that today. What's that mean? What was, what, if I just read the book of Acts and you say, pull out of it, what's normal about their spiritual existence? The first thing I see is that prayer played an important role in their lives. I did something in preparation for this message, and it took me quite a bit. It took me hours to do. I took the book of Acts, started in the first chapter, and I went through literally the entire book, all the chapters, and I wrote down every single place prayer was mentioned. Wrote down, and I wrote down the circumstances involved. They said about prayer, this is what it was about. I took every single reference to prayer in the entire book of Acts. And what I found is that prayer was common and continual throughout the entire book of Acts. That it's the, it's the bedrock into, uh, upon which everything was built in the entire book of Acts. Acts simply reveals that the people who were Christians regularly spent time in prayer. Matter of fact, I would imagine if you read it that way and you let, let the let the word just speak to you, and then kind of then go backwards and say, "What do those people think?" I would imagine that the people of the early church could not conceive of the possibility that someone could call themselves a Christian and not regularly and continually talk to God, who had radically changed their lives, and called um, they would they continually would call to him for direction and empowerment. That's all we see in the entire book of Acts. They're constantly just talking to God and saying, God, what, are we, what do you want us to do? And God's speaking to them. And they're, they're calling out to God for empowerment. They're calling out to God for direction. In fact, repeatedly it says something very interesting in the book of Acts about the early Christians. It uses this term often. It says, and they devoted themselves to to prayer. Matter of fact, that's how I came up with the first one. As I was doing a, a just an overview of the entire book of Acts, before I usually preach in a book, I just read a book over and over, and I let the book itself try to speak to me instead of me trying to speak into the book. And what I noticed was this common phrase that they devoted themselves to prayer. Um, it doesn't just say they said grace before the meal. You know, that's what we sometimes boil it down to. I said grace. You know, especially you know as I, I was raised, you said grace. It doesn't ever say that. It talks about the early church, and it often uses this description that they devoted themselves to prayer. It says that in the first chapter of the book of Acts, um, that when the 120 were gathered in the upper room, those who were the, the initial ones that the church was developed through, that Jesus said, Now go and wait, and I'll give you the Holy Spirit, they gathered in the upper room. It said that they were devoted um, to prayer. And then it goes on in, in Acts chapter 6, it's talking about the disciples. And it says that, that they had to select deacons to do work in the church to feed um, widows because they needed to spend their time being devoted to the ministry of the word and to prayer. And then it says something, something interesting in, in, uh, in, in Acts 2. It talks about how the rank and file, basically everybody in the church, was devoted to prayer. Look at Acts chapter 2 with me. And I'm, I'm making a point here that's going to make sense to you, I think, in a minute. That... In verse 41 of Acts chapter 2, it's talking about all the thousands of people who were following Jesus and being baptized. That basically, the gospel's going out, the day of Pentecost happens, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and thousands come to Christ. So, Acts chapter 2, verse 41, is talking about all the thousands who come to Christ. See that? But then look at verse 42. 41 talks about the thousands. Look at verse 42. Verse 42 then goes on to say what these thousands of people were now doing as followers of Christ. And verse 42 says this, and they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teachings, to fellowship, to breaking of bread, and to what? To prayer. So they were these thousands of people were constantly devoting themselves to prayer, one of the things they were devoting themselves to. They were devoted to prayer. Now, there's something really important that I want you to see here that I don't want us to miss, and I think we could. And it's why it's good to do an overview of things at times, because sometimes we see only the details, but we don't see the big picture. And I want you to back up and see the big picture here of something the Lord is trying to communicate to us. Acts 1, we said that the 120 were devoted to prayer. And we look at those 120, and we could say this, man, they were the guys and the gals who were really devoted. Of course they were devoted to prayer. They're the ones who were at the cross when Jesus died. They're the ones who are going to be there on the day of Pentecost. They're, they're really in this thing. They're the 120 founding members of Christianity. And you say, of course they were devoted to prayer. Then we look at Acts 6 and we go, well, the disciples, they had people become, start to serve the tables so that they could devote themselves to the ministry of the word and to prayer. Of course, they're the elders. They're the leaders. They're the ones who ought to be high-level leaders devoted to prayer. But I think it's really interesting that Acts 2 is, involved, is, is included in Scripture on purpose. Because Acts 2 is basically saying this, that all Christians were devoted to prayer. It wasn't just the superstars. That all Christians were devoted to, were devoted to prayer. What was normal, we're asking these question. what's normal anyways? What was normal in the early church was that everyone who was a Christian was devoted to prayer. It says these 3,000 people got saved in the very next verses, and they were all devoted to prayer. That everyone who was a Christian was devoted to prayer. That it wasn't a clergy thing. It wasn't a disciple thing. It wasn't a Pastor Mark thing. That it wasn't a woman thing. There's one of the things I've heard in the church. Well, that's what ladies do. The ladies' prayer guild, you know, because guys think they're too busy to pray a lot of times. It wasn't a lady thing. It wasn't an old person thing when old people got nothing else to do. So they just should pray. You know, and it, and it wasn't an intercessor thing. There's a, there's a um, charismatic one. Oh, let the intercessors pray. And so therefore you create a super class of Christians who they just pray. And of course, there's a ministry of intercession, but that's not talking about this. It's not saying it's an intercessor thing. It says it's a normal Christian thing. That's the point the Holy Spirit's trying to make here, to point out. It is a normal Christian thing. Acts goes out of its way to reveal that, to say that the, who is devoted to prayer? Everybody. Everybody who called themselves a Christian was devoted to prayer. And when I really saw that in this, when it jumped off the page at me, it really made me think. made me ask this question. If someone was writing about my life, or Portview's life, or your life, like what's going on here, what's going on in this book? It's Luke, the author of Luke, writes Acts, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is looking at the early church and recording what he sees, and if somebody, if the Luke of today, looked at my life, our corporate life, or your individual life, would he or she say we are devoted to prayer? That was normal for them. Would they say Mark Larson is devoted to prayer? Is that normal? Would they say you put your name in a blank? Would they say you are devoted to prayer? Or our church is defined by being devoted to prayer, because that was the norm for them. And the question is, is it for us? Let's say this. If it's not, it needs to be our norm. And it needs to be our norm for a very important reason, And it needs to be our norm. Because if we want, and see the connection here, if we want our normal Christian experience to be anything like their normal Christian experience, then we need to have this connection. Their normal and our normal, well, part of their normal was being people of prayer, which it was expressed then in this incredible life. You know, when I read the book of Acts, I see the type of life that I want for myself and I want for my kids and I want for each and every one of you. Because if you read the overview of the book of Acts, you know what you see? You see people who are walking with Jesus, who had lives where Jesus was so real and so core in their existence that he became more important than anything else and where walking with him was empowered and miraculous. all these healings and supernatural occurrences and where people were healed and evil flees. And listen, and we see lives where his followers are filled with joy in spite of negative circumstances. You know, what's interesting about the book of Acts. It's not a book that says everything turns out good. Sometimes the test results come bad back in the book of Acts. People are killed for their faith. They lose everything for their faith. They're persecuted for their faith. All this stuff happens, a lot of negative circumstances. But the amazing thing about the book of Acts is they walk through those things with love and joy. They're going, I'm so glad I'm suffering for Jesus. I scratch my head and I go, how did that happen? There's a connection here. That was normal. That was their normal life. And there's this connection between their normal experience and their life that was normal of devotion to prayer. You see, we sometimes misunderstand prayer. Prayer, it's it's not through prayer where people force God to do certain things. That's what people think sometimes. If I have an idea of what I think ought to happen and I just pray and pray and pray and pray, then God is bound to do that. And if it doesn't happen that way, say, well, God doesn't answer prayer. That's because it's a misunderstanding of prayer. That's not the kind of prayer they prayed. But rather, prayer is a relationship that's developed. There's a relationship of prayer, and in that relationship, God guides us into circumstances where he does miraculous things. When we're praying, he says to Paul in Acts, Now go over to Macedonia and do this, and he experienced something miraculous. It was in prayer that God guides us into circumstances where he does miraculous things, where we see what God is doing and join him. It's in prayer. And it's in the relationship of prayer that God forms us, that he talks to us and and molds us and shakes us and challenges us so that he can work through us more powerfully. He makes us, he prepares us in prayer so that he can do great things through us. And it's in the prayer relationship where we experience his presence so that we can walk through any circumstances with love and joy. Because, friends, understand this about prayer. Prayer is the relationship with God. That's what it is. That's why they were devoted to prayer. Because prayer is the relationship. And I want you to understand something today. I think this is incredibly important as we define our normal, because I think it's where we have to... We said we're gonna hold on to things that we need, but I think we said we also to add things that we that we need to to go in the right direction. This is something we need to add. That without prayer, Christianity is just a philosophy. That's all it is. That without prayer in your life, Christianity is just a philosophy you live by. Because without prayer, people simply follow their own path. Instead of being led and developed by God through the relationship. You cannot, that's why I said, I don't believe there's any way they could believe for a second that people could say they're followers of Christ and not be devoted to prayer. They would say, it's impossible. Because how can I live for Christ if I don't live with Christ? You understand what I'm saying? How can I live for Christ if I don't live with Christ? And I can't live with Christ if I don't, if I don't have a life of prayer. They would say, it's impossible. You can't do it. They'd say a normal Christian experience is being devoted to prayer. Because that's the relationship. And if I don't have the prayer, I just have a philosophy that I'm living by. Send us some guidelines and rules. So to really experience the reality of God, like they did in the book of Acts, this life of sign wonders and miracles and joy in spite of difficult circumstances, then we need to be connected to God by having lives devoted to prayer. So as we define our normal, a life devoted to prayer should be part of what we say, that's normal Christianity. If we're going to do this, it's one thing for me to say, yeah, just to be devoted to prayer. If we're going to do this, what's it going to look like? What's it look like to be devoted to prayer? And I tried my best to say, let the, look, 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 let the book of Acts just speak. Let the scriptures just speak and say, when it says they were devoted to prayer, what did it look like? How was it expressed in their lives? Did it mean they got up every day at four in the morning and spent three hours praying? It never says that in Acts. And I'm not saying they didn't do that. We see all over the place people. Jesus rose early and prayed. We see all that kind of stuff in Scripture, but when I looked at the Book of Acts and say, "How did it define what they did to pray?" It was kind of interesting. Um, Acts gives us some insight into their prayer lives. That what it looks like that may look a little different than we generally think about what our prayer lives would look like. And I simply want to kind of briefly point out three things that were part of their prayer experience. And just go over them quick. Three things that as you read the book of Acts, let the book of Acts speak to you, you'll see these are things that defined their prayer life. Then somebody could write about them and say they were devoted to prayer. The first thing is this. They had regular times of prayer that were scheduled into their life. They had regular times of prayer. Meaning that there were certain times that they scheduled and set aside to prayer. In Acts chapter 3, it tells a story, and I will to point out one of them, because there's multiple examples in Acts. It tells a story about Peter and John healing the lame man at the temple gate beautiful. Remember that story? Acts chapter 3, they, they walk up to the guy. He's been sitting at the temple gate for years, begging alms, begging for money. And um, they see him, and, and Peter looks at him and says something interesting. Silver and gold have I none, but what I have I give to you in the name of Jesus. What? Rise and walk. They grab him by the hand, picks him up, And the man rises and walks. But the the first verse of that story in Acts chapter 3, Acts 3 verse 1, says something really interesting. It says, look at Acts chapter 3 verse 1. Then they go into the healing. It says, Peter and John, this is the New Living Translation, Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the 3 o'clock prayer service. And then it says, and then they saw the guy at the temple gate. Peter and John went to the temple at one one afternoon to take part in the 3 o'clock prayer service. Now understand the context of what's going on here. You've got Peter and John, who are Jewish men, who had become followers of Jesus. These early Christians continued. They didn't have to, but they continued. They chose to continue with the Jewish custom of setting aside regular times for prayer. And there was, we see obviously from the context, there was a regular scheduled three o'clock prayer meeting at the temple and they chose to go to the prayer meeting. So this is surely something we can imitate. They had regularly scheduled prayers and these brand new believers walking in the light of Christ, full of the Holy Spirit, chose to say it's important in my life to join with regularly scheduled prayer services. So this is surely something that we can imitate to be devoted to. To prayer. In fact, at Portview, we have multiple regularly scheduled prayer opportunities that every single one of us can join in. Regularly scheduled. Just like they have a three o'clock prayer meeting, we got all kinds of them here at the church. We made a change in one of them. For, for the last couple of years, we've had a second Sunday night of the month corporate prayer meeting. And so we're making a change because so many of our connect groups that Pastor Chris talked about are on Sunday nights. We've made a change that we're going to start having a regularly scheduled monthly prayer meeting the second Saturday night of the month. Before, so it would be like for so next Saturday night from 6 to 7. We'll have prayer time. We'll pray for all the needs that come into church. We'll pray for the next day church service. And so a regularly scheduled time that we get together for corporate prayer. And I really wish this. I wish that every single one of us came and prayed at this time. It's amazing to me, but it's not so amazing maybe. It's, it's telling to me, and I don't have to say this by any way of, of condemnation, that a church service, singing, worship, everybody's having fun, will fill the place up. A prayer meeting, you hear crickets in the background a lot of times. I think it was probably the opposite in the early church. They gathered for prayer. They were defined by being devoted to prayer. So we have that prayer opportunity. We also, every single Sunday, oh, I don't want to drive that extra time to come to church. Every Sunday morning, from 8 to 8.45, we have a corporate prayer time. Meets in room 11, usually about five, six people. It's open to everybody. We talk about it all the time. Anybody can come and pray. And every single week, from 8 to 8.45, we set aside time for a pre-service prayer where we pray for this service. What's God going to do? God, you know, push back the darkness. God, open up people's hearts. God, bring the people that are supposed to be here. We pray that prayer every single Sunday, and everyone is welcome to join that. We also have another regularly scheduled time for prayer and praise. Every single Saturday night in this sanctuary, Bridget leads a time where the church is open from 7 to 9 in the sanctuary, and they basically, it's open for just free, meaning not structured, prayer and worship in the sanctuary. And a lot of Saturdays, Bridget's the only one that's here for that. But we've talked about it for a long time. And so we have all kinds of opportunities like the temple had. Peter and John chose to go to the 3 o'clock prayer service. And because of that, somebody could write about them and say um, they were devoted to prayer. Well, I encourage all of us going into 2014 to join in these regularly scheduled prayer times. Maybe not all of them, but some of them, you know, to join in prayer together it's part of being devoted to prayer. I wonder what would happen in our personal lives, in our family lives, and in our impact in this community if we just did that one thing, devoted ourselves to prayer. Just, just come into corporate prayer meetings. I wonder what would happen. I think it would be amazing. Well, what's another thing we see? Keep moving here before I go all day. I said three things and some of you got nervous just about the end of my sermon. You're like, oh, my goodness, three things. That's the start of the sermon. We're going to go quick. What's another thing we see? So we have, Corp they, they join together for regular scheduled prayer times. What's another thing we see from the book of Acts about their prayer lives? And I think this is a really interesting one. It's this, that what was normal for them is that they often prayed with other Christians. Matter of fact, I almost never see anything in the book of Acts about their personal prayer lives. Now I know they had personal prayer lives where they prayed by themselves, maybe got up early. I'm not sure. But what we see from the book of Acts is they often prayed with other Christians. And very often, I think, people think of prayer as something that is private. I think it's individual. And I'm not saying it's not individual and private. It can be that. That's part of it. But we see in the book of Acts that it is also to be entered into with other Christians. In Acts chapter 1, verse 14, it's only one of the places that refers to this. But it's talking about those 120 in the upper room. And it says that, that in this early church church, Acts 14 and they all met together and were constantly united in prayer. They're constantly, so not once in a while, constantly united in prayer. They were united in prayer. They prayed together. Together they cried out to God, and together they sought God's presence, and together they prayed for one another. And friends, look listen to this. What script what, what Act shows us is that this wasn't something that was just a church thing. It was part of the fabric of their community. That's why Acts 2.42 says, and they were going from house to house, 2.42 to 48, they went from house to house, and they were continually devoted to certain things like prayer, that it was the fabric of their community, that it wasn't just a church thing. That when they gathered together, they prayed together. If you read the book of Acts, that's what you see. When they gathered together, they prayed together. Church, there is power in united prayer. I just wonder what would happen if when we met together for work, we met together for fun, whatever, we met together in our small groups, when every time we met together to play Park Cheesy or whatever you do, that we would also take some time to pray together. I really think we'd see incredible things if we took time to pray together. So they prayed regularly scheduled, they prayed together. And one more thing, it's this, that sometimes when they prayed, they combined fasting with their praying. Look at Acts chapter 13. What we see here is Acts 13, the first couple chapters, we're seeing the the launching of the church's missionary endeavor, the separating Paul, Paul and Barnabas' um, who will become Paul, to be the great missionaries of the early church. And, and the first part of Acts chapter 13 is talking about how that happened. And so in 13 verses 2 and 3, look at what it says. It shows, Verse 1 talks about all the people who are in the, in the church in Antioch. And then in church verse 2 it says, and while they were ministering to the Lord, and some of your translations translate, I think, more accurately, worshiping the Lord. And while they were worshiping or ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. What's going on here? One day, these leaders were together in the church in Antioch, and they were worshiping, and they were praying, and they were fasting. And as they were in that Practice of doing that, the Holy Spirit speaks to them about sending Saul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey. Friends, we see as part of their prayer life is a life of fasting. Fasting was part of their life of devoted prayer. And you say, well, why are you combining them together? Because here's what you know about fasting. Fasting without prayer is a diet. Honestly, all kinds of people fast. But the kind of fasting they're talking about, fasting without prayers. So this week, if you're going to fast, you know, you probably ate way too much for Christmas. I did. I'm up like five pounds. So I honestly, on the non-spiritual side, look forward and go, oh, good, i got a week of fasting. And I'm doing a Daniel fast, which is basically just vegetables for the week and water. And um, so I'll do that. And I go, okay, positive side is I'm going to lose five pounds. But if I just do that, I'm just doing a diet. But what we see in their lives is that prayer and fasting combined together are part of a devoted life of prayer. They gave up eating all or some food for a period of time in order to seek the Lord with great seriousness. Maybe what they did, we don't know exactly, but maybe what they did is they skipped lunch that day, and they said, hey, instead of eating together, let's just let's not eat, and let's just go to the Lord and worship in prayer. Because I don't think they sat there for three days just worshiping. They probably said, let's not, let's not eat lunch today. Let's just get together and pray and fast and worship the Lord. And in the middle of that, when they didn't expect the Holy Spirit to speak and say, Set apart these guys. But God responded miraculously because they said, Let's just set aside feeding our flesh in order to nourish our spirits. That's what goes on in fasting. You know, that's something that we practice here at our church. Each year, we set aside a week in January. And again, we fast a lot of times, but we set aside a week in January for prayer and fasting. And this year, our fast is going to begin tomorrow morning and run through Saturday. And what I want to challenge all of you in some way to participate in is during this time, I challenge all of you to fast something. Maybe do what they did. Just skip lunch and begin to worship the Lord and pray. Maybe do it with a few other people like they did. Just maybe the Holy Spirit's going to speak to you about something miraculous. Maybe fast one meal a day um, and use that time to pray. Maybe do that one day every day of the week. Maybe do a Daniel fast. I have started doing that a couple of years ago where you eat basically only vegetables and some fruits and, and drink water. And the reason I've chosen to do that is I find my fasting more effective when I do that. For years, I did just water fasts. I'd go 21 days and, and just drink water and eat no food. And, and, you know, and I'd fast that way, but I, I've found dis- myself distracted all the time. And it wasn't because after two days, you're not hungry anymore. If you've never fasted, it's not that big of a deal. After two days, your stomach, stomach shrinks and you don't, you're not hungry. It becomes just a mental game. That's all it is. It's a mental game. But I find myself distracted so much that I started doing a Daniel fast, which is basically vegetables. And I do that and I find myself not distracted anymore. And I feel, but I feel every time I eat, I'm like, I don't want to eat beans. I want a cheeseburger. And I'm reminded all the time about how strong the pull of my flesh is. That's what fasting does. It says, Mark, you're consumed by your flesh. Because God knows we need to eat. We need to eat. You can't live without eating. So he, so he sets this process up and saying, just give it up for a while, and you see how gnawing your flesh is against your spirit. That's the benefit of fasting. It reveals to you. A lot of you have never tried it. We've, I encourage you, to, but you've never tried it, because you know what? You're probably afraid of what you're really going to figure out. And I'm saying God's got something better for you than you have right now, even though you don't think it could be any better. And so so fast something. So maybe do a Daniel fast. Maybe fast all food. God may lead you to do that. Fast all food and just drink water for this, you know, six-day period of time. I guarantee you it won't kill you. I encourage you to fast something. Let the Holy Spirit lead you, and then set your mind to doing it. And when you set your mind to do it, don't end it until the end of the week. Don't middle stream go, I think God's changing. No, that will be you changing. I promise you. Because you will say about Thursday, I'm going to go, I hate beans, <laughs> you know. And I'll vow to never eat beans again, and then I will again a week later. But uh, as soon as I get my first butter Butterburger, um, you know, that's always the thing. I tell you every year, it's the thing every year that when I fast, I'm just like, I don't even like Culver's that much, but I got to have a butter burger to end it. Um, so I encourage you to fast something and spend some extra time in prayer with the purpose of consecrating this upcoming year to the Lord. Start the year on the right foot, placing your relationship with Jesus as the priority. And that's what fasting does. Fasting with prayer says this is the most important thing. Because generally, what we'd say is, what's the most important thing? We've got to breathe, we've got to eat. Eat and drink, right? So, it affects. We can't stop breathing, okay? We can't have a breathing fast, right? Okay, not a good thing. It can last for about a minute or two. But we can alter how we eat. Which reveals the draw of our, the, the pull of our flesh, and so we start on the right foot. We say, God, I want to, I want to change this, just what I eat, in order to say I'm devoting myself to you. Now, are you trying to, are you earning something with God? No, you don't earn anything with God. That, rather, what you're doing is you're revealing things to yourself for your benefit, and you're giving God the opportunity to bring transformation into your life. That's what happens. You're giving God the opportunity, in the relationship. To bless you, challenge you, change you, you know, and and use you greater. You know, just think about it. What if we just did these three things this year, 2014? We set some regular scheduled times for prayer. We prayed with other Christians when we got together, and Suzanne and I along that line have had this practice for years that when people come to our house. And we don't do it 100% of the time, but I almost always hear the Spirit tell me to do this. Before they leave, we'll say, can we just pray together? And we'll just stop? Usually when they're walking out the door and we'll pray. And so you just took some time to pray together, so you set some regular times for prayer, kind of church prayer. You prayed with other Christians when you got together, and you set some time aside to fast and pray. Just think what would happen. I think onlookers would maybe say about us, you know what? Those folks are devoted to prayer. But more importantly than what onlookers would say, our relationship with Jesus would be enriched and we would experience more of the book of Acts type of life than we ever have before. I really believe the connection between prayer, the prayer relationship, and the supernatural. It's supernatural to walk through difficult circumstances with peace. It's supernatural that that connection comes through a life devoted to prayer. So, that sounds good to me. Does that sound good to you? Amen? So 2014, let's make it a year we're setting our normal. What's normal anyway? You know what's normal anyway? The early church devoted themselves to prayer. That's the first thing in what's normal anyways. Why don't you stand with me this morning? Just join me in praying this morning And a way of devoting ourselves out of the chute to a life of all that we can have in Jesus. Heavenly Father, thank you for the model that we have in the book of Acts. Thank you that you chose to include this book in the divine scriptures to reveal to us what was normal in the early church because we know what was normal as far as their spiritual lives ought to be normal in our lives if we want to experience what they experience. And Lord, we do want to experience that. We want lives that are, that are full of you, that are able to endure whatever happens. Because God, we have no idea what 2014 holds. It could hold a lot of pain. It could hold a lot of, of unsettled um, events in our world. And it probably will. But as people devoted to prayer... We can be like the early church and walk through those things rejoicing because we're connected to you, that we're in your presence and we're hearing your voice and your voice is saying, "Uh, do not fear for I'm with you always. God, we also know that we can can go to church every week and we can even read our Bibles and and we can do our one-minute scripture in the morning or say we pray in the car really not be close to you. God, we want to be close to you. So God, I look at these things and I say these are things I want to be in my normal for this year. I'm looking forward to our regularly scheduled prayer times. I can't wait for next Saturday, God. That we can come together and we can pray together. can't wait till next Sunday morning we can gather before church and we can pray before we worship and before we pray. God, that we can, as a church family, fast this week. Pray together. God, inviting you to do those things that only you can do. So, Father, for 2014, I would ask that at the end of 2014 and we look back, that we would honestly say, you know what? We're more devoted to prayer than we ever have been before. And, man, we're experiencing the glory of God because of it. That's our prayer today. That's our hope today. And Holy Spirit, I would ask you to do this right now. That because every one of us is different and every one of us is at a different spot in our walk with you, that you would just begin right now to speak into each one of our lives. Your word says your sheep know your voice so we know you and you can speak to us. Begin to speak to us. Begin to draw us into this relationship of prayer in maybe different ways than we ever had before we experience just a renewed zeal for you. Renewed joy in the Holy Spirit. And empowerment God, beyond anything we've ever known before. So Father, our, our hearts are wide open. Would you say, speak to us. Lead us. And we want to respond in a positive way to you today and this year. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Heavenly Father, as we walk out of this place this morning, I would ask that you would use us for your glory. You would fill us with your presence. You'd be glorified through our lives. That, God, when people look at us, not for we care what they think but it's a help us see what might be really true they would see something different about us we really are devoted to you God that that would be, a, it'd be a, as we lift you up it would be like drawing moths to a flame people would come to know you through our lives so Lord bless our church family as we enter into a brand new year Holy Spirit fill us with your presence for your glory in Jesus' name.